Now today I'm going to pick up again in this series on the Sermon on the Mount entitled The Greatest Story Ever Told. Let's keep that overall series heading in mind because it reminds us that we should be looking for the story, the overarching story, the story of God's love. It's story that began in eternity past when God set his love upon an as yet uncreated humanity. And how he worked it all out, even though humanity rebelled and turned against him, his love persisted and Christ finally came and and showed his love and, and brings us into relationship with him, makes us sons and daughters of the kingdom of God. Um, and that kingdom starts to work from the inside out and gradually the effects of that kingdom increases till finally the time when Jesus will return to claim the whole earth back for him. Wonderful, wonderful story. The greatest love story ever told. So I did four messages to bring you to the place where you would be ready to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear what he has to say. To know that he's instructing those who are born again in the kingdom, having repented and believed, now are choosing to be close to Jesus and be discipled by him, by the Holy Spirit. We started looking at what we call the Beatitudes, the blessed attitudes. There are two of them so far. We're coming to the third one today. So let's read again Matthew 5, verses 1 through 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Our theme today is meekness. And I want to show you how When you walk in meekness, you put God's grace on display in your life. Now, a meek person is someone who lives with the total absence of pride, not just natural pride. But what can happen when we've entered the kingdom and start to look at all the things we have and forget where we came from, it can become spiritual pride. Natural pride is bad enough, but when we exhibit spiritual pride, I think it's so offensive to God and also to one another, and certainly offensive to others around us in the world who have yet to come to know Jesus. Most people think that Christians are negative, judgmental, and think that they're better than anybody else. Years and years ago, and I was first a believer, I was witnessing to people, and he said, you think, sitting down in a park, you think you're better than some, and, us all. And I said, no, it's not. In fact, I love Jesus because I know how blankety-blank bad I am. And a word came out of my mouth, which I won't repeat here. Let me tell you, it's not in the King James Version anyway. And then I said, oh, excuse me, pardon my French. And then they laughed, we laughed. I'd just proven it. 
we don't preach ourselves. We preach Christ. He's whole. He's perfect. We're not. And God will always, if you get too big for your boots, God will always remind you where you came from, not to do you down, but to remind you of the journey that he took to bring you where he is and the journey we need to take from where we were to where he is also. Now, the text talks about meekness. Blessed are the meek. It's not a word we use a great deal today. So let me give you another translation. It simply means humble or gentle. And this meekness, this humility, this gentleness comes as a result of what God has done for you. You can't invent it. You can't make it happen, but it flows out of the deep work that the Holy Spirit has done in your life in mending your brokenness and covering it with His glory. Last week, we spoke about being mourning for our sins. In other words, feeling deep pain for having offended God. And we said that that happens, when that happens, God's comfort flows into our life, his oil of healing, his reparation in our life, his restoration in our life. And so when God heals your brokenness, this is what you look like. You look like a mended person. Now, on the screen, you see an illustration of what I'm talking about. This is the Japanese art of kintsugi. Any Japanese people here? Kintsugi, what is that? Well, it's the Japanese art of repairing broken pottery by using a technique called golden joinery or golden repair. I think that's such a beautiful picture of what God does. And he doesn't just repair us, he repairs us with golden repair. And the idea behind this is that the repairing of like this broken pottery is not repaired so that the previous history is hidden. The previous history remains, but, but the cracks are filled with lacquer which joins them together and then dusted with gold, silver, or platinum. And so this is the result. You see the history of this pot right there before your eyes, but you know there's something different. It, it was broken, but now it's repaired. And the very joints of repair are covered with the glory of God. And this is how God's grace is on display in your life. Every day, we see it in the news. Battles rage as nation, nations or, or, or people groups try to establish supremacy one over the other, supremacy over a particular part of the earth. And when we look at that and see the progress of history, the way history has taken us, most people will conclude that in the end might wins over right. Whoever has the biggest army, the biggest power, the biggest way of asserting themselves 
win over the weaker. But Jesus gives us a completely different picture regarding the kingdom of God. And don't forget, the kingdom of God is going to increase and increase and increase. This is the kingdom that's going to swallow up every other kingdom on earth. Now, he begins with these Beatitudes, and as we were saying before, these Beatitudes are attitudes of the heart that belong to you because God has given you a new nature. And Jesus reminds us of them, but says, cultivate them. Grow in these blessed attitudes. The first one was being poor in spirit. And you begin, very much your Christian journey, you begin it this way, by acknowledging that you've got nothing in yourself to offer God, not really. You're spiritually bankrupt in terms of your relationship with Him, which means that you learn to get right with God, not try to get right without God. You know, I think that in many ways is the difference between Christians and, and every other category of person or belief or uh, part of the population. The difference between us and them is that we know we're sinners and we are seeking to be right with God. The others say, well, yeah, we want to make some changes in our lives. We want to grow, but we can do it without God. But the moment you say, no, I can't do this without God, and God says, well, I know that. That's why I provided Jesus for you so that you can transfer your trust from yourself to him and recognize that you've got nothing that you can bring to him. You've got no claim on God whatsoever. And then your spiritual poverty is transformed into his spiritual riches. The second attitude was that of mourning, coming to the place of feeling deep sorrow for having offended God. This impact is vitally important because following Jesus is not just a matter of cognitive thinking, not just a matter of willful choosing. It's also a matter of having your emotions filled and affected and impacted by divine spiritual truths. And when you really know how offensive your sin has been to God, two things will happen. You will be filled with deep sorrow and that will lead you to a, a genuine repentance. And at that point, God pours into your brokenness, pours into your sorrow, his joy, his comfort, his healing. He puts the broken pieces back together again. He makes you whole again. And you are therefore able to display the miracle. You are a walking miracle of God's grace for the glory of God. And that's where this third quality comes in. You can see how it follows on from the previous two. The first two very much are to do with you knowing what's going on in your own heart and God dealing with your heart in the intimacy and privacy of your soul in the presence of the Spirit. But now this third attitude is much more visible to people from the outside. And indeed, walking in meekness and humility is a non-defensive openness. You have nothing to hide and so they see you as you really are. And when they look at you, go back to have a look at that, uh, that pot which has been repaired again. When they look at you, they see you not trying to hide your past, not trying to hide your history. 
and they'll look at you and say, isn't this amazing? What do those marks mean? Where does this gold come from? Ah, you will say, I was lost, but now I'm found. I was broken, but now I'm whole. I was blind, but now I see. I was a sinner, but now I'm saved by grace. And they look at you and see, uh, which is a very important lesson for people observing your life to, to learn, is that you're not preaching yourself. That you display the historic brokenness of your life and even those bits of your life that are still under repair. And you're inviting the Holy Spirit's glue, the glue of God's grace to join you together again. And then inviting the gold of God's glory to be dusted and embedded in those very spots, those very parts of your life that previously caused so much pain to you and others. And now it's simply a time to rejoice, to be grateful and to walk humbly with God. When you invite people to see you as you really are, they should see you as a broken but healed person. That puts God's grace on display for everyone to see. Always remember what you were so, he can, so you can bring God glory for what you are, what you are now. I, I, I know some people... Um, and they come from a really difficult background and a very broken background. And they kind of think that being a Christian means you hide all that. Very often, it means dressing in a certain way. It means portraying yourself in a certain way, pretending that you've always been this way. But God gets great glory when you share your story and not necessarily having to pass your testimony around like, the Revival Times or Times newspaper. But simply by looking at you, spending time with you, they see there's something different about it. What is it about you? You're healed. Broken, but healed. And um, many of our non-Christian friends actually believe we've always been this way. We came out of the womb this way, dressed in Christian suits and clothes and speaking Christian language. And I was speaking to a friend not so very, very long ago and saying, you know, talking about Jesus and there, and began to use all these arguments which, which were like, it's all, it's all right for you, you know, you, you believe this, you believe that, but I don't believe this, I don't believe that, I don't believe what you're saying and, and I'll never believe it. Uh, and I said, you know, I used to be just like you. What? Yeah, I used to be. In fact, some of the views you're holding are exactly the views that I held until I met Jesus. And then he changed everything. So they said, what, you used to believe this? What I believe? Yeah, much of it. I used to be very much like you. But something happened. Then they realize that the grace that's on display on your life is nothing more, nothing less than the marks that you carry from your encounter with God. That's what makes the difference. You want people to meet Jesus. And meekness, therefore... When you walk in it, it's, it's the marks that are left in your life as a result of meeting with Jesus. I can think of a great Old Testament example of this. Jacob, Jacob. Do you remember Jacob was a twin? 
his elder brother came out first, Esau, and uh, he grabbed hold of Esau's heel and became the supplanter. He who grasped the guy's trying to get on in life. He cheated his elder brother out of the birthright. And uh, he was always, always, he stole the blessing. He did everything, everything wrong. But God sent him on a mission in a foreign land. And he met somebody, his uncle Laban, who was 10 times more crooked than himself. And he found out what it was like to be on the other end, the receiving end of that. And slowly his character was shaped. And the time came when he was to return to his home country, carrying the birthright from the parenthood, the spiritual lineage of Abraham uh, 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 and, and, and Isaac now, and Jacob was the third generation. And the story goes how that Jacob found himself alone one night, worried about his brother Esau that was out to meet him, thinking that that was going to be the end of him, end of Jacob pondering over these things, a stranger approached him in the night. This was a warrior, a wrestler, the big daddy of the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord. And Jacob, who had wrestled with himself and wrestled with others, now had the temerity to start wrestling with God. And that's what this angel was the angel of the Lord. And can you imagine the huge condescension of Almighty God to allow a mere man, a mere puny human, to wrestle with him and to allow this man to overcome him? Jacob wrestled with God and he prevailed, but just at break of day, the angel touched the hip of Jacob, and something happened there. It was broken. It was out of joint. He never walked the same since. And in that encounter with God, we have a transformation from Jacob the twister, the deceiver, the supplanter, to Israel, prince with God, the one who had prevailed with God himself. And I want you to picture him appearing on the crest of the hill, silhouetted with the rising sun behind him, leaning on a stick and walking with a limp. I want you to listen. Never trust any Christian who is walking their spiritual life without a limp. Now that is no reflection on the testimony we just heard when our own Claudette was healed and she was walking with a limp and she was healed physically. God grants you physical healing. But I'm talking about what's going on in your soul. You're never the same again when you meet with God. And part of that is bearing the signs of that encounter. And in that way, in the cracks of your brokenness and weakness, shine the glory and grace and power Amen and amen. Now, I also want you to think about meekness like this. Often people will say meekness is, is weakness. No, no, no. It's strength under control. I have never dived with a humpback whale. 
And I look upon this picture with a degree of envy. I, I'll just relate to you a tiny measure of a similar experience. Way back um, in California once, uh, I went on a special diving expedition to go to a place off the coast where you could dive with big fish. They weren't whales, but they were, they were uh, uh, sea bass, giant sea bass. Now, every one of them was, was as big as a human being, as big as you, big as you. Can you imagine that? And also, in the water is about 30% magnification, so they look even bigger. That was amazing. I swam up very gently as these fish miraculously lay motionless, suspended in their buoyancy, perfect buoyancy. And I reached out just to see if I could touch them. You should never touch fish. Anyway, the fish didn't allow, because as soon as he saw me out the corner of his eye, getting a bit too close for his comfort, he swished his tail, shot way out of reach. But that wasn't the thing. The thing was that the water displaced by his fin was so strong, it almost made me topple over. Imagine what one flick of that fin would do to that diver. Imagine what one flick of the tail from that 40-ton sea creature weighing as much as three double-decker buses under the water. I'll tell you what, that, that diver, if, if that humpback male wasn't so gentle and friendly, he'd be gone. He'd be dead. That's a picture of strength under control. Humpback whales are one of the most friendly mild and gentle of all sea creatures. But they are ready to move in when necessary. These great fish, these great whales, mammals they are, they will go to the aid of other fish and other mammals who are being attacked underwater. And they will even intervene when a killer whale is attacking another sea creature and the killer whale is the only predator that the humpback whale has. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Magnify that picture a million times and more. And think of Almighty God, who has all the power of the universe. Think how he so restrains himself. How he so holds back the manifestation of his power and glory just to talk to us. If he showed up today as he really was in all his strength and power, we'd all be dead instantly. If it wouldn't kill us, we'd voluntarily leap out of our bodies to go to be with him, to be so glorious. So this tells us how gentle and humble God is. And it contrasts with so many people who have a little taste of power. Um, my goodness me, you don't want to cross them. Let me give you some advice. Never cross a small-minded person who's got a little bit of power. One of the great tests of whether we're walking in humility and meekness is how we use any power that we do have. Jesus is the great example. We read about it in our communion time, Philippians chapter 2. He surrendered. He submitted. He emptied himself. 
He allowed the one who created all things, he allowed his hands to be crucified to a cross. Just one thought could have put an end to it. He could have done it himself. He could have destroyed everybody around him. Or he could have simply called on the legions of angels to protect him. He didn't. He surrendered. His power was under control. And it was under control to fulfill the purpose of God. So meek people are not weak people. Their strength is self-controlled. They're submissive. They're non-defensive. Open to correction. Considerate of others. They're merciful, forgiving. They don't engage in power games. They guide rather than control, lead rather than drive or dominate. They, they don't dominate others to seek the highest place for themselves. They're not always looking for recognition. They build up rather than tear down. They're prepared to suffer loss if it's for the benefit of others. They take the lowest place so that others can shine. They serve others rather than expecting others to serve them. Let's just see how meek you are today. Are you prepared often to be misunderstood, talked about negatively, maligned unfairly by others? Well, if you suffer from the fear of men or seek the praise of men, you will never be like that. But when you're in Christ, you can let all that go and say, I know who I am. Jesus is my Lord, I've been transformed and I really have no longer any fear of what man may say or man may do to me. But the natural reaction, if we're not careful, is to hit back to justify ourselves. That's not meekness. You may be thinking, I know what this means, we have to be doormats. Was, was Jesus a doormat? Was he a doormat when he surrendered his life to the soldiers to be crucified? Was he a doormat? No, he was acting according to the kingdom of God. He was in total control. He knew what he was doing and he knew he was opening the doorway for our salvation for the glory of God. They're not doormats, not at all. They are very ready to speak up when necessary. They stand for truth. Now, there is a kind of human type, personality type, that very often does not confront, always takes the empathic view, never speak out truth if it's going to offend somebody. They just say, oh, well, you know, I, I, I just keep that to myself. And very often the reason is this, they want too much to be loved. They want everybody to think that they're nice people. I want to tell you, friends, in the kingdom of God, nice does not cut it. Tough love cuts it. If you love somebody enough, you will tell them the truth. If you love your society enough, you will stand up and say, the way you're going is wrong. Why? Simply because we have the truth and we're better than them? No way. But what we understand is this, is that God's way is the best way for us. And so often what is being prized as 
as freedom, liberty, and all the rest of it is nothing more than helping people headlong into tragedy and self-destruction and ultimately hell itself. So a meek person is not afraid to speak up, but they will do so in the right way at the right time and certainly not from a position of self-aggrandizement or pride or arrogance. This makes them not easily offended. Many years ago, in fact, in the 1970s, when I was a church member in this church, this month I'm celebrating 30 years as senior minister, but 50 years of my involvement in Kensington Temple. And in those days, Lyndon Bowring was the associate minister. And I'm encouraged by the fact that I can remember what he preached about 45, 50 years ago. But I hope that maybe some people will remember some things that I said. And he would often remind us of his definition for humility. That is the ability not to be easily offended. Some people are so prickly, you can't look at them crooked and they snap back at you. They use aggression, passive, aggressive behavior, aggressive behavior, everything. You, you just know, don't go near them. They're so touchy. Such a person needs to go back to the Sermon on the Mount and say, do you really believe that you've got nothing to offer God apart from his grace at work in your life? What have you received that makes you better than anybody else? No, 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 no. People who are too easily offended are often walking in pride and defensiveness. You see that in your life? I see it in my life from time to time. But true meek people are non-critical, non-judgmental, empathic, not hard-hearted. They bear all things. They endure all things and look not for self-vindication. They trust, trust in Christ to do it in his own time. Above everything else, meek people pursue Christ's glory rather than their own glory. They glory in nothing but the grace of God, in nothing but the cross of Christ. They're prepared to die to self in order to gain Christ. They are secure in who they are as followers of Jesus, the one who said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. A meek person, a humble person is resting in Christ. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus is the great example of meekness. So, Jesus says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There is a reward with this behavior. There is an inheritance that come with it. These are surprising consequences of walking in the lowliness and humility of Christ. 
the meek shall inherit the earth. Now, I, I, as you look at this revolving globe on the screen, take a look at it and say, that's your inheritance. That's what you are going to inherit if you walk in meekness. Now, this is a reward. It is an inheritance. And I want you to realize this and introduce this theme. It'll come back to it. We'll come back to it many times. But here, the Sermon on the Mount is talking to believers. It's not a test of their salvation. It's not the way of being saved. It's not the way of salvation. It's talking to believers, encouraging them to grow in Christ and attain a reward for their behavior. You may say that's not your primary motive, but I'll tell you what, I, I would love at the end of my life to stand before Jesus and hear his well done. And here we have this idea that, that God will reward us according to our faithfulness. You're not saved by your faithfulness. You're saved by faith in Christ in the blood of Jesus alone. But you are rewarded for your faithfulness. And this is the reward. <laughs> it's amazing. First of all, recognize it's the total opposite of what people believe out there. Have you seen that graffiti? It pops up from time to time. The meek shall inherit the earth as long as it's okay with everybody else. This idea making mockery of the most powerful quality of God, the very thing that Jesus had and exhibited that places him on the highest throne of the universe, his meekness leads to his, the manifestation of his majesty. The meek shall inherit the earth. Now, there is an, an immediate fulfillment of this. Let me explain why. Meek people are not always looking, always wanting to grab, always wanting to possess. And in that way, they can be satisfied with simple things. And they can be contented. They can enjoy things without wanting to own them. In one sense, we've already inherited the earth because if you're walking this way, you alone are free to enjoy it without wanting to possess it or control it. But there is coming a time when the not yet element of this promise will be fulfilled. When Jesus Christ returns, he'll introduce the new heavens and the new earth. And, and it says the fulfillment and more of Psalm 37, 11, the meek will inherit the earth. Actually, in the Old Testament, it says the meek will inherit the land, which we know was very much tied towards a specific piece of real estate in the Middle East. Now it's extended not just to one part of the world, but the whole world will be ours. Think of the people. I'm not just talking about James Bond villains who want to control the world, take over the world, or modern day despots who want to control the world and take over the world, or modern day uh, people who hold a monopoly in commerce and industry who want to take over the world. No, no, I, I'm not just talking about that. I'm talking about every desire we have to possess and to control. All of that is wasted unless you go low in order to be lifted high. The future dimensionless promise will mean those who are fallen will rise. The last in that day will be first. The crucified will be resurrected. The meek will inherit the earth. Now let's level with you. I know what some of you are thinking. And here it is. 
This is either a terrible religious deception designed to keep you down, or it's an amazing truth to lift you up. So you say, well, yeah, we know what religion does. We know what you church leaders want to do, teach people to be humble so that you can dominate them. Let me tell you, this teaching doesn't come from me. This teaching comes from the most powerful being in the universe, almighty God who exhibited it. This is real. This is true. If it's good enough for him, it's good enough for you and I to believe. Jesus will triumph in the end. Amen and amen. World control, universal authority, possession of this planet, all these things will be given not to the strong or the powerful or the wealthy or the well-organized or the self-disciplined or the conquerors, but to the meek. So, wear your battle scars well. Do you know what I mean by that? The things that have happened to you that have wounded you and you've been healed from, God allows the scar to remain, not to humiliate you, but to show you and others who look at you, yeah, I've been there. I've been broken. I've been injured. But Jesus Christ has healed me. The healed brokenness so overflows with comfort that those who've come this way will have more than enough comfort for themselves to share with others and pour it out on other broken people around them. That's the only way. Those who've never been healed have nothing to offer others but criticism, blame, accusation, discrediting, self-pity, and various other forms of manipulation. Now, I know what some of you are thinking because I thought it, I've been thinking it while I've been preaching. Oh my, my, my. What do I do when I find myself failing in this? Go through the Beatitudes again, one by one. Bring yourself closer than ever before to the mercy of God. And that mercy, when it's received, breeds gratitude. When that gratitude is expressed, it brings humility. And there, at the points of your previous brokenness, when you humble yourself before God, you find the presence of God. Why? Because he's been there before. And the Holy Spirit is like water. He always finds the lowest place. So in the kingdom, we go low and we stay low. And he puts his grace on display in our life. 